We're going to open our, their Bibles. I hope you brought your Bible to the book of Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read from verse 14. I'm going to read from verse 14 on. It's a familiar passage. So I do pray that you will listen with fresh ears and be open to what God has to say. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one of them he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went dug in in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you deliver me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over little. I will say to you over much, enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered to him, you wicked, slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Huh? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an, an, will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the wordless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What an uplifting story, isn't it? You know, uh, by nature, I like to fix things. One of the joys of being a homeowner, it took us a long time, but we finally got a little house, nice 
a hundred plus year old home. We love it. It's, it's great. It's a perfect project house for somebody who likes to fix things. And I like to fix things and uh, I'm, maybe because I'm a little cheap, I don't want to pay somebody else to do what I can do. Uh, maybe because I, I like that attitude of, hey, I, I got this. I can do this. Uh, if you ask my daughter Armadia, she will tell you that I know how to make holes, not necessarily patch them. So that, that you said, that's your spiritual gift, to make holes. But when something goes wrong, I, the tech side of me wants to figure out what went wrong. I like to troubleshoot. I like to figure out why did the heater stop working? Why did the air conditioner all suddenly is not spinning or pushing cold air? It's just kind of in me. And I would like to say that I can figure out every time, but the hole in the kitchen where the microwave used to be and it's not there anymore will tell a different story. Not everything gets fixed. But I like that's kind of how the Lord has wired me, and it works well for me. And even when I come to the Word of God, I come, my curiosity kicks in, and I want to know why. And when I come to this story, the question that pops up is, why was a one-talent servant a failure? What would it take for that one-talent servant to be counted among the good and faithful servant? And that's what I want to do today. I want us to do a little bit of troubleshooting, reverse engineering. We already know that he failed. But as we answer this question, or as we explore this passage, the question I want to put out there is, what kind of servant are you today? And if you cannot identify with that one talent servant, then I want you to have the opportunity to, to walk through a process where you can become a faithful servant. My goal is not to give you a guilt trip. I don't think that's what's in the heart of God this morning. Our goal is for you to find hope and find the way to the Father. I think we need to pray. So let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we are humble. I am humble by your presence here. Help us see what you see. Let your word speak to us. Oh, Holy Spirit, breakthrough. We invite you to come and do business with our hearts, that we may go out differently than how we came in. Please move in the name of Christ. Amen. So, when I heard that I had to preach and I was writing a sermon, I, I started hearing a lot about this uh, artificial intelligence stuff. Actually, I was at a writer's conference, uh, not because I'm a writer, I was there providing some services as an AV technician, but one of the things that I heard is apparently a lot of writers are leaning a lot into this uh, chat GPT to write their books. And, uh, and I heard that it's been used in, in colleges to help you start papers and even in seminaries 
to get you started. And I said, well, well let me check it out. And uh, so I, I, I went to ChatGPT, put in a write a three-point sermon on Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is why I came back. As we reflect, this is ChatGPT, right? As we reflect on the parable of the talents, let's remember that God has entrusted us with unique gifts designed for his purpose. Let us reject the paralysis of fear and step step into our faith, knowing that our faithfulness to us should open doors to even greater opportunities, blah, 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 blah. And the only thing I can say, I actually type again, wrong. <laughs> That's not what this passage is about at all. And I want to begin there. You probably have heard this thought at Sunday school. Maybe you have sermons about it. Encourage you to rush and sign up to serve somewhere in that church to be a better Christian. But that's not what it's about. So if that's your perception, if you, this is what you expect them to hear, encourage you to put that down because it's not going to be like that at all. Actually, it may be more serious than that. And I want you to be prepared for that. As we pay attention to this story, we realize that a lot of the focus on the story is not on the five talent and the two talent servant. When we look at the passage, we find out there's a lot more detail about the unfaithful servant because that's the point of the story. Actually, what we hear from the good servant says, hey, he got five, he went and put it to work and came back double. The second one went and put his two talents to work and he doubled the money that belonged to the master. But the unfaithful, he didn't double the money, he just got it all dusty because he buried it in a hole. While the other two come to the master and they open up with a concept, you gave me this, here's what you got plus more. We see the unfaithful master say, starting with, I knew you. I knew what kind of master you are. So we see there's a lot more to be extracted from what it is that the one talent master servant did. But before we start, every story, when it comes to biblical uh, understanding and uh, studying, you have to understand the context. Context is key. It makes all the difference. The context of this story really begins in Matthew 21. I'm not gonna read it, we don't have time to explore it. We'll come back to this, but I want you to understand this. Jesus is in the last portion, last leg of his ministry in earth and his life. He's 33 years of life on earth. He's Three years of ministry are coming to a conclusion, and he knows it. And it opens up with Jesus being exalted as the son of David when he walks in through the gates of Jerusalem. People are shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David. He's being welcomed. Everything seems exciting. The city has exalted him. 
There's high expectations. His reputation has grown. He has said some hard things. He has challenged the status quo. He has healed people. He has done all kinds of amazing things. He walks in and there's this high expectation. He goes into the temple. He cleans up the temple. He faces the Pharisees and he tells them seven woes, seven things that they're doing wrong and how they have missed the point of receiving the revelation of God. And how instead of guiding into faithfulness, they guided into unfaithfulness. To one point he says, you go and convert people and you make them seven times worse than you, not sons of God, but sons of the devil. There's this conflict. He's setting things straight. Now set yourself in the mind of our disciples, those that have been walking with him. Can you imagine the excitement? This is coming. It's about time. We are going to take the city by storm. We're going to kick the Romans out. We're going to set those Pharisees straight. It's, it's, it's about time, Jesus. You took a little too long. But here it is. Here we go. And right before this chapter that we're studying, Jesus walks by, and the, the, he's leaving the temple heading to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples say, oh, Jesus, look how beautiful this temple. You see this building? Isn't this awesome? Isn't this great? And Jesus turns back and he says, surely I tell you, there's not going to be one stone on top of another. So if you think this is beautiful, this is going away. This is temporary. This won't stand the the test of time. And of course, that triggers some curiosity because that, those words are words of conflict, destruction. And they ask, tell us, when is this happening? When are we going to take over? And we know chapter 24, you know, in the last days, the, the pains that come before childbirth, and he gets rumors of wars and persecution, and, and he tells them, and, he, and when he proceeds on, he changes topics slightly, but in the last days, he said, in the last day, nobody knows the time and the hour, but in the last days, it will be like in the days of Noah, where people are just doing life, clueless that there's a judgment coming. They will be clueless. They won't understand. They they will be doing their own things based on their own understanding. Whatever feels right. And that will will be the last days. Do you know that we have been in the last days for a while? I'm not talking about just our culture, but since the church was established on the day of Pentecost, since Jesus ascended into heaven, we have been in the last days waiting for his return. So humanity has been in the last days. That's different than the last day. Much different. The last days describes a a culture and a time where humanity will do according to their own will. That is the context. Right before he wraps up in chapter 24, he says, and the Pharisees got it wrong. 
They're like the servants who were not faithful. They abused the people. They took advantage of the world. He's not coming. Let's drink his wine. Let's sleep on his bed. You know, let's exert authority over everybody around us. And then there's a shift. Jesus is now, now talking about the Pharisees. In chapter 25, there's a shift. He uses a, another parable. But it says, then, verse 1, chapter 25, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. And he tells us the parable of the virgins. They have oil, but only half of them understand that their goal is to wait for the bridegroom so they live accordingly. If five, the other five get distracted and start chatting and playing games and using up their oil and understanding on everyday life and when the bridegroom comes, they miss it. So that's the first one. He said there will be a time that those that they have been called, those they have understand, they have received a message that there's a bridegroom coming, they will some will take it seriously, some won't, and some will be left behind, and some will come. Then we get to the parable that we'll spend the next few minutes talking about. Because he expands, as for he will be like a man who's going on a journey. That's the passage we read. So how, how do we go from being unfaithful to faithful, that's our question. You know, when, when kids, are, when teenagers arrive to our house, we knew they were coming because we had three babies, and uh, they will become teenagers. And people say, "Just wait for a second. How difficult can it be? Teenagers, we got this. We develop a phrase in our house." <laughs> And you could hear it almost every time. Own it. Why do you have this grace? Well, the teacher didn't like me. No, no, no. Own it. This is your grade. How you got this grade? When was your curfew? Well, my friends. No, 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 no. Own it. Own your decisions. You have to own the fact that you belong to this family and there are rules. Own it. No excuses. Excuses won't help you. Now, we, I came up with, we came up with that phrase in our household, and both my wife and I used it quite a bit because ourselves learned that we had to own it. <laughs> We're good in coming up with excuses. But I, the pathway to becoming a faithful servant in the last days, today, that to me, the key finds finally owning everything that I have been given. The first point that we have is we need to own our relationship with a master. Now, that word master is not very American-friendly, is it? Carries a lot of weight behind it. I, I, I don't have a master. I'm a master and commander on my own ship. I do whatever I want. And, and understandful, and it's understanding because human masters, they're not faithful. They're not always good, they're abusive, and we're still dealing with those issues. But yet here, Jesus identifies himself, I'm the master. 
and I'm going away. So we need to own the fact that our, we have responsibilities to a master. We need to own the fact that Jesus is a master. We love the fact that he's savior, friend, gracious, forgiving, long-suffering for us. I mean, why won't he love me? Look at me. I'm so good, right? That's our mentality. I have so much to give. God is, Jesus is lucky to have me and his team. That sometimes it's an attitude. But we need to understand the fact that Jesus is not only Lord and Savior, there's another side to him. He's also a master. He gives us grace, love, forgiveness. He gives us an expectation of holiness and living right. And you need to own both of them. If you only leave, uh, adhere to his loving, kindness, gracious, you run the, the danger of having an emotional relationship with him. One that will be tempted to accept all kinds of lifestyles and all kinds of religious teachings in, in the name of love, in the name of grace, and in that with no substance. If you accept Jesus just as master and Lord, somebody who's gave you his law, his rules, you have to do this, but then you become legalistic and you miss the grace and in, you meant that with the Pharisees all the time. You need to own both. There's this balance. He's, because he loves me, he gives me his rules. Because I love him, I will follow and obey. See that? But when he comes here, the servant, the first thing he says, I know you. You are a hard man. We may not say it this way, but this is what sometimes we mean. You are, your God is kind of a harsh, unjust, violent. Sometimes we have trouble reconciling the Old Testament God with the New Testament God and thinking that one and the other, they're two different personalities. No, there's holiness and grace from the beginning. There's holiness and grace to the end. So if you want to be a faithful servant, you have to come to terms with the fact that God has expectations of how you live your life. It's not just like there is a right and wrong. It's not all in the gray area. Actually, with God, mostly, you can determine what's acceptable when it's not. That's not a great mystery. But he says, I, I know you're a hard God. I know you're a hard man. You're even unjust. You, you, you don't plant and you expect to reap. You don't scatter and you want to gather. That's kind of an unfair. And, and you can see that the heart of the unfaithful servant, instead of accepting the master for who he is and his authority, he's saying, I'm putting up with you. I'm willing to put up with you. You're not really that fair of a God. Actually, I would like to make you on my own image. And that's what's happening in our culture today. A lot of people re-imaging God to their own image and their own likeness. But the you do that, you become an unfaithful servant. So all I have for you, God, all I have for you, Master, is fear. So I was scared. I was scared. You know, I, I used to think this. I used to think that this passage was talking, servants was not just Christians. He's not just Christians, right? He's not just true believers. 
And I used to think it was all humanity because Romans 1.18 tells us that we have no excuse, that God can be known, that everybody can know that there's a God. Now that knowledge doesn't save you, but it definitely condemns you knowing God, but not obeying him, not seek to know him, brings judgment on you. But as I study more, I came to the conclusion that it's talking about people who have heard the word of God. People that have heard the message. People that have come to our church, to all the churches, and say, I, I'm, I'm checking. I'm afraid what God will do, so I don't want to risk it, so I'll, I'll come to church once in a while. Once a month is good enough. I'll hear the message. I'll learn something, memorize a couple of verses, you know, maybe share it on Facebook or whatever, and I, I, I'm going to keep God at peace. He's kind of harsh, God. He just kind of cover my bases. And I think that's a mentality, but they never own it. You see, Jesus is a good master. He doesn't give you a burden, he gives you freedom. He says, my joke, my burden is light, my joke is easy, my burden is light. Now, we need to, not only we need to own the fact that that the master, Jesus, our master, is relationship. We're responsible for not just fearing him, but to fully embrace him. The one thing we did learn about the good servant says that they didn't have to come up with excuses. They say, hey, you gave us, here it is. We did it because we love you. It just came natural. This is what we do because we accept you for who you are. The second point is you need to own the revelation of the master, what you've been given. There was a man who came to our, our ministry uh, downstairs a few years ago, and he said, are you the pastor? I said, yeah, how can I help you? And he said, look, I've been going to all these churches. I'm looking for truth. I, I tested everything, and I just can't find it. And I was wondering if you can tell me and pray with me so that I can receive. I said, you know, that's a great thing, but I'm concerned for you. You're jumping from church to church. Now, I will share with you the gospel, but that's probably the most dangerous message you will ever hear. Because the moment you hear it, you're responsible for it. The moment you hear the gospel, the good news, and it's only good news because you're in a very bad place, you're not sick, you're not confused, you're not broken or missing something, you're dead. And the gospel says that you can have life by submitting, but you cannot go shopping around. There's only one place that if you hear it, you're responsible for it. His face went almost white. He knew what I was talking about. I think that if you ever want to study an interesting passage, go to Hebrews chapter 6, where it talks about how people have come and tasted the goodness of the fellowship. They have seen the power of spirit at work. They have seen how good God is and his grace, but they never really accepted. So at one point they said, forget this, I'm leaving. And, and the writer of Hebrews declares there's no salvation for them anymore. The revelation of God is a serious matter for the church. If you have heard the gospel, you're responsible for it because what's going to send you to hell is not your sin. Understand that. It's not your sin. It's not the lying, the cheating, the immorality. Those things will not send you to sin. That's what dead people do. You can't help it. 
what sends you to hell is that what do you do with the revelation of the master? What do you do with Jesus? Did you took his message and dig the hole and say, well, I'll put it right there so I don't lose it. Part of my general knowledge, well-rounded individual that I know about religion, I know about God. Or did you take it and you owned it? Said, this is my message. This is for me. If you've been coming to church and you have heard the teaching of what it is to be a son, not an orphan, You've been hearing the, hearing the gospel, the invitation, and you're still like, well, you know, I'm not sure. Are you walking in dangerous ground, my friend? Because the good works that you do will not save you. It's what you did with Jesus. This servant, what he did with the revelation, he hid it. He didn't grow. We need to own the fruits that returns. Jesus tells us, if you had just taken the, the money, and this was not just any money. You know, talent does not refer to ability. We read in the passage, he gave them a portion of his wealth based on their ability. So talent is not an ability. Actually, talent is a weight the largest amount of money of that time. It will be like a trillion, if we were to say just the term trillions. We don't know what else to come out to account for our debt. That's a different sermon in itself. But a talent, actually, if you were to translate it, is 20 years, 20 years of an average salary for a working person. 20 years. I did the calculation. That for average in Chicago, with the average salary, high and low, about $73,000 at 20 years is about one po- a little bit under $1.5 million. The one talent man had in his hand the equivalent of today of $1.5 million. It was not a small thing. It was not an ability like I can play the guitar. That's not a talent. I know that's what we call a talent. That's an ability. It's a skill. The talent is the port in this biblical story is the portion of the kingdom of God that you have received that you're responsible for. And that's the revelation of God is your understanding of the word of God. That's what you're responsible for. And it's huge. It has huge value. Why? Because it saves lives or condemns lives. So when you think about it, the guy who got two talents got almost $4 million at the end of the day. The guy with, with five, with seven, almost seven and a half million dollars. It's a huge amount of, of the portions of the treasure. God, what you, God has deposited in your life, what God has put in your hands, is no small amount. His gospel is not just another sermon. It's the most valuable thing of the kingdom of God. And you're responsible for it. You're responsible for making sure that it bears fruits, that it has returns. When we think of bankers, it's the people that know what to do with your money. They, they don't pay a whole lot in the interest, but there's some return. So you don't take 1.5 million and dig a hole and put it in there. You grab it and at least put it in a savings account. It can be your own. Who cares? And I think that's what it is. Jesus is saying, you take that treasure, you should have put it in the bank of your heart, not on a hole in the ground. 
You don't need to go plant a church, start a ministry. You don't need to, you, know, you just need to let the Holy Spirit and the gospel in your heart that it may start to bear interest, growth, that it may begin to change you. You're responsible for that. We can preach all day, but if you're not taking what God is speaking to your heart, too hard, and letting it grow, then what good is it to you? You need to own that responsibility. God expects fruits. Jesus goes on to say, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He who, when you translate to the parable, you see he who has small things, but they don't put into work, he'll take those away and give it to somebody else. Other people will grow. And when we get to the point of what is the punishment is hell. This servant goes to hell. That's a strong word, we don't preach on that much. But that is what it is. The unfaithful servant does not get demoted just to the basement of heaven. He gets thrown out to hell. I don't know about you, but that sounds like it's a pretty serious business. We need to own our relationship with Jesus. You're responsible for it. You need to own the revelation you have received, what you have learned of him. You're responsible for it. If you want to be faithful, you will take it to heart. You will let it grow in you. And as it grows, you let it spill and put it in the hands of people that know what to do with it, like a leader, a pastor. Say, I don't know what to do. I love people. Can you put me to work? And they'll give you work where your fruit can begin to be spilled. And not what you do, but your love for others. You know, um, just to conclude here, when it comes, what, what needs to happen in our life is we don't need to be fixed. We need to become alive. And if you have received, if you're part of this church and you have heard the good news that Jesus loves you, he died for your sins, and, and he's calling you to repentance, he loves you too much, to leave you the way he found you. He will change you. I have a friend who posted on Facebook, he came out of the homosexual lifestyle for a long time, and he said, I finally got it. Finally got it. Yes, I was born this way, that's why I needed to be born again. He found people in the church they love him enough to let their knowledge of what they knew the master to be spilled and transformed into love so that he could come to that determination himself. You don't need to fix anybody. You need to help mold them into who God wants them to be. I like to fix things. I'm glad that God has given me a, a wife that loves to mold things. As I've seen it, how Instead of fixing our kids, I understand now we need to mold their hearts. We deposit in the word of God and then we need to shape it with the hope that he will, they will own it. And I see that in, in our kids. 
my daughter said, Dad, do you want me to write your sermon for you? I'm called to teach the word. I'm like, yes, but no. <laughs> you can read it if you want. I can see that that's the fruit of God growing in them, and I pray that she will be obedient to that. Our son, alongside with one of his best friends here from Moody Church, you know, Joel and Adonai, they joined the Marine Corps. And we got a message from Joel saying, lad, I really like it here. This is a good fit for me. I really want to do this uh, active duty. And we were like, okay. And, his ma- and my wife said, ah, I, hope, I hope he prayed about it. That was over phone call. We got the letter. He had written a letter before. And in the letter he said, you know, I've been thinking about this. It's a great fit. I feel like it's me. I really love this. I'm used to you yelling at me, so this is perfect fit. But I'm praying that God will guide my steps. That's what I want to hear. That's what, what Jesus wants to hear. That's what the fruit looks like. I didn't know it was there, but I, I was hoping it was there. When he said, I'm just praying for he got my steps. I, I cried. I was moved. Karina was moved. And we were like, ah, you go for it. You got this. Church, we will be whole accountable. It's that simple. It's not about your skills. It's about what you do with that treasure that God has put in your hands. If you have it and you're not, and you're afraid to use it because people are gonna get hurt, don't be, it's not your message, it's his message. You preach it, you teach it. I don't wanna be standing before you say, I was afraid of what they would think of me or if I was gonna hurt somebody. I'm more afraid that they will die. Church, we need to own it, but you cannot give what you do not have. If you don't own the revelations, if you don't have fruit, then you have nothing to give. And we can hang on to all the things that we find to be important to us, but when we get to the judgment seat of God, a lot of those things are going to burn up. And the only thing left over is going to be what? did you do with Jesus? What did you do with his gospel? Where are you? Are you walking with God? Are you a good servant? Do you have doubts? Don't let today pass. Don't let today pass because he's calling you to faithfulness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. Thank you for the message. Everybody in this room is considered a servant of yours because we have received your revelation. We have received portions of your treasure. Holy Spirit, I will pray that you will prompt those who are still struggling to accept you as not only a Savior, but as Master. 
Those who are dealing with fear, will you please break the chains of fear and give us the freedom of faith to have fruit, to have returns on your investment in our lives. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We humbly request you will do your will in us. In the name of Jesus, amen.